My conversation today is with Rudolf Berger. Rudolf hosts one of the most unanimously acclaimed podcasts in the genres of esotericism, occultism, and the Western esoteric traditions, the Thoth Hermes podcast. Aside from being affable, eloquent, and extremely knowledgeable, Rudolf is a serious practitioner who has conferred with some of the brightest minds and is himself an essential part of the living Western esoteric traditions in the modern day. It was an honor and a pleasure to sit down with Rudolf, who has been one of the biggest inspirations to this podcast, and discuss the state of contemporary occultism, our shared love of conversation, magic, masonry, music, and more. I'm Ike Baker, and this is the Arcanum Podcast. First, I want to say you're currently in the releasing season 10 right of the thought hermes podcast that's true absolutely so so congratulations because <laughs> i know you know what a labor of <laughs> this can be congratulations well certainly um, congratulations to what you do because it also is quite amazing and you do also i guess with the video it's even more work than with audio only isn't it i can it can be it certainly can be but uh I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to completely fanboy, but, uh, you know, your podcast was a, a huge influence, but not only an influence, uh, but a resource um, to a young uh, esotericist and occultist just getting involved a couple of years ago in really initiatic orders. been doing this for a long time, but I was I joined uh, really firmly the Western esoteric initiatic orders around 2016. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so your podcast was a forum of, you know, it wasn't just people waxing philosophical; is it people were established and and practitioners where I felt I could gain reliable insight. So I was. It's just been tremendous, and uh, you know, you're continuing it. I know a little while back you announced that you you were going to put it in in abeyance for a little while. Is that correct? That's true. I even thought I would stop it altogether, but uh, well. Then, then energy came back probably, and and and, and I said, "Well, maybe I should try to carry on." <laughs> Is that what happened? So, so you you kind of figured that um, you had a little bit more time and energy for that stuff. Was that was that why why you decided to reconsider, or was there a critical? Well, moment? not necessarily the time, but um, you know, sometimes you. You know, I'm I'm professionally. I always worked artistically, right? And I kind of also have a feeling that my creative cycle is about six yearish. <laughs> and as it happened, it, I I didn't do it on purpose, but I felt like hmm, last December I had had a quite a good run of shows before I stopped, where really everything came together and it kind of topped with Walter Honeygraph being my last guest before that break. And of course, that was quite a, a high point. And then I thought, well, it's Christmas. Now let me take a break. And then the break became longer and longer. And finally, I thought, well, maybe that was it because the six years have passed. And and I even announced that. I think it was April or May. I said, okay, look, guys, I think that was it. And well, then I considered doing something a bit differently. Um, I wanted to go into feature-like uh, podcasting or something like that. But in the end, when I thought about it, I thought, no, there's so much to be said. And also, 
I think um, how the world is going, how the world is developing nowadays, this might now sound grand, but of course we can only all do uh, what we have to do in our corner and what we have to do in there. And I felt, well, if I say responsibility, I don't hope people take it that I take me too too important or too heavy, but uh, I think we got some responsibility of claiming what we believe in and yeah, that was part of the decision. The energy came back and that and both together. Maybe I found a new voice again. So let's put it that way. That's excellent. Um, I definitely understand what you're talking about a little bit um, with feeling a responsibility. Um, <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Especially, as you're saying, kind of the way things are turning. And um, But, you know, I think that's one of the, the amazing things about um, just the the podcast community in general in in esoteric western esotericism the occult scenes you know your podcast um greg kaminsky's occult of personality that's Absolutely. you know a staple of the community for for who was my my first contact with that and also i even co-hosted a few shows with him i don't know if you know that yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think i think i had heard something about you apprenticing exactly like something like that yeah <laughs> yeah i mean that's wonderful who better to learn from but Absolutely. um so for, I mean, obviously, anybody that's listening to this is going to be well familiar with you. But um, on the the uh, on the odd chance that that's not the case, uh, could you maybe talk a little bit about how you got started in the, the Western traditions and the occult? With pleasure, yes. I mean, I'm now 63, so it's quite a few years back. I'm not one of those who started, at least not consciously, at age five, uh, uh, feeling different from other kids or feeling being a weird kid, as one of our colleagues often says. But um, I realized uh, that I wanted to go into that and search into that world maybe when I was 22, 23, so odd 40 years ago. And actually, there were two things, two currents that first took my interest. One, and probably the first being uh, anthroposophy. Uh, well, I would rather say Rudolf Steiner himself and his work. Funny enough, it's exactly the week we are recording this that I finally issued my first episode on on anthroposophy. Um, but um, so I never was member of the of the anthroposophic society. Um, but I really liked what Steiner wrote, especially the books, the early books, the ones that he wrote himself, and were not recorded teachings of him, but really his proper work, and. Um, that opened a quite a new world for me. And then a bit later on, maybe four or five years later, I started doing some shamanic work, um, more the Michael Harner type of shamanism. So the, not going too much out into nature, but um, more the things like shamanic um, dreaming and sh shamanic voyaging that you that you do at home and with sound. And, and that brings me maybe then back to what I think really happened because, well, after those two things that brought me closer to to what esotericism could be, then very at a very early stage, Hermeticism came in, Freemasonry came in, of course. I, I have been a Freemason for 32 years soon. Um, and uh, so, so all of that led 
further and further and the, the further I went the more I got interested and I've always been an eclecticist in the field I try to find the things that work best for me and that are not always only the traditional combinations of of schools but ceremonial magic hermeticism I think that's where I feel most at home but I might have to add something because I said something about the early beginnings and it is only at the very late stage, maybe the last five to ten years, that I realized that my capacity of working in my professional field, which I started really very early, age 15, 16, I was already working professionally in the field of theater and opera. And uh, at age five, I did my first um, play on stage as a little angel in a nativity play so this is was something that came very early to me uh, and um i think now with hindsight um music sound and all that is related to it and its effect on people and how i approach the theater world and stage and everything had a lot to do with my spiritual approach but i wasn't aware of it then i don't know if, if that's understandable what i'm saying but i very strongly feel when i see how i worked it at back at the time how i was able to produce my talent i think there was a lot of instinct and a lot of spiritual guiding in that yeah i mean that makes perfect sense to me um i also have a musical background um mm as many so, of us do actually don't for we? me yeah yeah it's it's pretty interesting I, I think that believe it or not it was what the the processes inside myself the changes in perception that i was experiencing um deeper levels that sort of attuned me turned my gaze towards the possibility of magic mm -hmm. and the occult and, and, and ritual you know little by little i started noticing the more i delved into a project um there was this interior world that became more and more real. And then as I would go back into, you know, my mundane life, I would kind of uh, miss that. I would feel I'm out of place here. You mm -hmm. know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I see what you mean. I think that yeah. makes, I think that makes perfect sense, actually. Because it's also, you know, when I went into rehearsal, for example, at a very early stage, and I was always a kind of artistic director from a very early uh, point more than being on stage myself and i sat there and watched the rehearsal and i maybe directed the rehearsal and i just by watching i felt there was a lot of energy that it cost me but i also kind of instinctively knew that by that energy that was flowing i was leading the game and I didn't understand what happened back then. Now I probably understand what happened and that this was related to what I was saying before. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to uh, circle back a little later on and discuss some musical stuff. I'm, I'm really interested uh, to, to hear some of your thoughts on things. But I, I'm wondering how in the course of the last uh, six or seven years doing your podcast, mm -hmm. um, how that has affected your practice or your approach to to your your uh you know ritual and her hermeticism yeah but i think it has quite a bit um of course when you when you start that and say well how i'm going to do this and well the motivation was basically a european one because as much as i admire uh that 
uh, North America has taken over uh, um, in a good way. I, I mean this in a good way, uh, the, the, the practice, because so much is going on in North America, which is unfortunately not anymore going on on the European side. I mean, of course, there are people practicing, but uh, the development is much more on the American side, which is which is good. But um, I wanted to to have a European voice with with also reminding the background and where it comes from, and that was the initial idea. So my studies went into that direction, uh, of course, because before I started the first episode, I wanted to have a clear view on what I was doing, and already that changed my approach to things, right? Because I found out things that I hadn't looked into before, and then when I started talking to people like well just name her as an example because she's such a a great lady Dolores Ashcroft Novitsky who was one of in one of my very early uh, podcasts and my god when i spoke to that lady uh, that was amazing you had the feeling she was 21 when you speak to her you know she was over 90 at the time and and the energy that and and the knowledge and all that came over from her that really was and she was just an example, and I had several experiences, but she was a very particular one. And you say, well, I have to go deeper into that, what she said. And so it forced me to, not only before the show, because, of course, I like to be prepared about what I talk about, but also after the experience with those personalities I had the chance to meet, um, uh, it brought me to deeper, maybe not knowledge, but to deeper involvement and I looked much more into it, let alone be currents, which, for example, the Octuadic current, which I hopefully will do a, a bigger show in the in the near future, um, is something that I discovered through my work with the podcast, that it has become a very important part of my personal practice, because I feel somehow very much at home in that, right? So... Um, I wouldn't. I would probably always have worked for myself in the esoteric currents, but I wouldn't have explored so many and learned so much about it without the podcast. So it, I got a lot of personal feedback from it. Yes. Yeah. I. I, I mean, that's kind of why I asked. I had. I've been sort of trained in the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn here in the mm -hmm. States. And really my first foray into practical magic, I had studied Kabbalah and uh, comparative religions and, and uh, Platonism has been with me my entire life. One of my first right. books at, at that age when you're able to read. Uh, you know, start really absorbing things uh, rather than just picture books and, and children's books. But um coming up in the the hermetic order of the golden dawn you know it's somebody one of one of my friends actually had uh compared it to being a, a very i guess classically trained uh musician you know and then she also said but there's people that are playing jazz <laughs> you know? and, and i thought that that's uh, pretty brilliant but but that's that's essentially what i discovered when i started podcasting was that wow i i don't i mean i have a very firm footing and foundation but in in something very specific whereas there are so many avenues especially now right now you know it, especially in the united states the, uh, alchemy is exploding you know gnosticism is exploding all these things that i thought i knew something about and i, I really didn't so it was also a humbling experience for me 
Of course, there is also always a risk into that, that you get in too many things at the time and cannot deepen your knowledge or your experience in one enough. Um, but, um, well, pro probably 40 years of theater and stage work um, have also uh, shown that that in this, uh, a certain approach, which I which I basically would call ceremonial magic in all its forms. And so the Golden Dawn is also something that's very close to my heart, even practically, right? Uh, my problem here personally was always that where I live in Austria, uh, honestly, uh, there is not much around, right? Um, so um, I was more or less um, obliged either to join a group, one of the very few groups that would not really be my my main interest, or to stay a solitary worker, and I chose more or less the latter. Um, uh, there are a few developments, and of course, Freemasonry, even if it's not that esoteric a current as I would wish it to be, but um, especially not in Europe. But um, still, it has been a framework where I also met other people who are interested in the same field as I, and I have even become in Austrian, or at least Viennese Freemasonry, a kind of um, anchor point of esotericism. So, well, that comes with age probably, but also with with, with dealing with things, of course. Yes, and absolutely knowledge. You know, I think I think you, yeah, sure. <laughs> you have so much. You have your not only your experience, but other people's experience. Kind of a nexus point for that. But that's sure. also interesting because you you say that uh, you know obviously having uh, so much experience in theater and a theater setting, but you you've done mostly solo work. Have you have you found that um, in any group work that you may have done, even masonry, that it's more potent or? Or is there something that you, uh, are there pros and cons that you find in working as a solo practitioner versus, you know, the the occasions you do get to participate in group ritual? Mm -hmm. Well, there are pros and cons, certainly, at least to me. And I I, I would think that part of it, uh, of those pros and cons, is also depending on the individual personality of, 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 of the person do, dealing with it. Um, of course, I think there are rules. Uh, when I when I'm within an egregore, when I'm within a group who works in the same direction and it was a work together, and of course I have done that, I keep doing that. Also, not in masonry, but also beyond that, um, I there is a there is a force behind it that you cannot achieve when you are working on your own. Um, uh, that's that's for sure. But then maybe there are people who need that common feeling more than others. And uh, it is an individual approach. And my approach also in life, that's not just uh, that's not just in magic or, or, or in, in the occult or the esoteric worlds, um, is more that of a solo worker. That that's that's just me. I mean, um, what I do now as a as a as a living is uh, also something which even if I stand in front of people and hold speeches, I mean, I work as a funeral speaker, right? And um, uh, it, it's still the preparation and the work and actually what you do, you are on your own and you're on your own. And I feel absolutely happy with that. And I know people who couldn't do that because they need the group to work with, right? So, uh, so I think you, you have to transpose that from your 
day-to-day life also to the, your magical world and magical life. You cannot separate that. Yeah, that's a good point. A kind of adjusting magical techniques uh, uh, catered on, based on uh, not really like a cookie cutter approach or, uh, um, you know, what what I guess you think you're supposed to be doing um, and rather f- feeling your way into what yeah. works for you. Absolutely. That, ma- that makes perfect sense. It's pretty interesting, actually. Recently, you know, I've, I've, I've become more interested uh, in in the Agdoadic tradition as well. I feel myself okay. being pulled to that that kind of so- solo stuff. So I'm, I'm experiencing mm-hmm. a little bit of that now. For me, for a long time, it was group ritual. But uh, well, one thing that I do want to I want to bring up at this point is one of my favorite features of your podcast in particular is the music that you play, mm-hmm. the musical pieces. Um, I love them. I find that uh, everything is very interesting and uh, suiting the mood of um, you know. There's it's not there's nothing that really jumps out as being out of place. I think that's it takes some kind of. Uh, you know, obviously, you have experience directing this stuff and working with this stuff, but uh, I, th- I think that's a skill in choosing music. But um, I'm assuming that music and magic for you are also very closely intertwined. Absolutely, I would even say sound and magic. It's 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 uh, music is an expression of sound, of course, mm-hmm. and but it it can it can be other sounds. There are two there are two things which I would like to to maybe expand on on this. Uh, I sure. mentioned uh, shamanism before, right? And um, so at a very early stage, I I uh, experimented with uh, shamanic traveling and. Um, with with the drumming yeah of course right so you i hardly ever used drumming myself i used tapes and and headphones and while i was lying there i'm doing that and and uh, that worked very well but after a rather brief period a couple of months or so and that's probably just a talent i have but just to tell you what what i feel about it and i can still do that today of course i can i do not need the drums anymore i can imagine the drums with the same effect um uh, i hear the drums even if they are not there because well sound is my is my element so to speak right my main element in life i'm much better on on listening also than on smelling or on other senses right it's just because i train it and it's my talent so i found that in the aftermath here again, I only found out later that this was a special thing I, I could do. And I find it rather interesting that I'm able to do that. Um, and the other thing, and it goes a bit in the same direction, is that I'm very interested and uh, also sensitive to binaural um, sounds. Uh, I, I probably you all know the, the Monroe Institute's um, uh, sound tapes and I think this is fascinating uh, alone the thought that the physical experience of having two frequencies which are just a little bit off uh, in your right ear and in your left ear but so it is your brain and just your brain and not a physical effect uh, a scientific physical effect around you not the not an acoustic effect, but a pure brain effect that creates this woo-woo-woo in you, which then makes your brain 
uh, work, I find that I uh, only the idea find I find it fascinating, uh, let alone the effect it has on me and I guess on many other people. And so I work a lot with that, right? Uh, in 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 my personal life, it's not a classical esoteric approach. Actually, I am aware of that, but um, well. I, I never am as good in astral travel than with a previous uh, uh, session of of, of uh, binaural uh, experience. So, so if it works, if it works for me, well, I take it. <laughs> That's very interesting. Actually, when I was in, um, I didn't understand the science behind it. Obviously, I I do understand, uh, you know, sort of acoustic science. It's just a very base level. But I didn't. Un- I didn't understand the the science behind the binaural um, sort of audio uh, playing. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I was in recovery, um, I used to play uh, play that actually with headphones. Um, I found that it it helped me go to sleep. Right. It helped me really relax. But now that you're saying. <laughs> It makes it makes sense, you know. Uh, now that you're saying that that it stimulated sort of that, uh, you know, inner eye uh, and, yeah. and the ability to astral travel, I, I would have the craziest dreams, and and sometimes there was a, a, a higher instance for me of things like sleep paralysis at that time, and waking uh-huh. up and 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 having visitors in the room and things like that. Pretty well, that's on. probably probably yeah, and, and of course it depends on the frequency that you create with that system. You can it depends how much those two frequencies that you have in your both your ears are off for each from from the other. So it's very simple when you when the frequency in your left ear or right ear. I mean, when the difference between the two frequencies is say ten hertz, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, then of course the the, the brain. Uh, gets its own resonance with 10 uh, cycles a second and depending on on what uh, number of cycles you go you have either sleep effect you have a, uh, a, you have also a stimulating effect in 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 awareness or you have that astral uh, approach so it, it depends on the frequency i i would just like to warn our listeners of, of one thing because for example on youtube there are so many of those tapes which call themselves binaural and they are not mm-hmm. they are just creating this woo, 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 this wobbling sound just to create it right but it's not binaural mm-hmm. and you it, there's a very easy way of testing if it's true or not uh, you just take out one of your headphones right from one side you take it off your ear and then the sound you hear in the other ear must stay steady Otherwise, it's not binaural. Otherwise, right. it's just a, a recording of binaural, but it's not binaural. So yeah, it's just it's a tremolo effect. It works effect. only when you have both headphones on and you hear that you hear that frequency. Uh, when you take one off, if you don't anymore, then it's true binaural. Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah, that's for yeah. That's uh, that's probably something I should have uh, tested years ago. <laughs> Just this 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 random tremolo sound that's being pumped through yeah. my speakers. Well, I think that the interesting thing about that is uh, your incorporation of new technologies, you know, or or really newer uh, uh, sort of uses of things like that of sound, because you know. Uh, just having the 
technology available like headphones to be able to use and you know plug the ears and and play those simultaneously Mm -hmm. in stereo so i mean that's that's a huge part i think of exploring and and broadening um esoteric traditions and things like that so i think that's that's pretty cool even, even though it's not traditional um but that kind of brings me to my next point which is uh over the course of the decades that you've spent in esoteric communities, and obviously, you know your your point of reference for a long time was was most likely the more European uh, tr- uh, traditions over there and what was going on. But sure. becoming a, a podcast host and and stepping out onto more of a public stage and interacting with you know Americans, Canadians, etc. What have you found? Uh, what are some of the major changes that you've noticed in the communities in the last uh, six or seven years? Well, first of all, I, I have to say that uh, 85 percent, I can say, of my audience is North American, right? On on my podcast, so that's quite interesting, right? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that's really interesting. But um, well, I think the the community has become extremely more diverse in all in all senses right uh, it, it's the traditions have widened there is much more going on in on different levels i mean basically six or seven years back at least in my perception you had golden dawn you had Salima, uh, you had some solo solo practitioners and then you have the left hand path and that was it right and now you have all those at least they have become vocal they have be, they have come out of their of their of their hiding so to speak they are much more on the on on out there and speaking about their practices uh, all kinds of um well the Ogdadic tradition is one of those that you mentioned and I mentioned so certainly one of those and there are others of that kind um and maybe I only see them better also because of course I deal more with them and it's always been my interest on the podcast to show as many currents as possible and talk about them, even if maybe they are not my. Uh, it's n- not something I would I would practice or would would, would like to do, but uh, they are there, and you want to talk about them and to inform people about them and get to know yourself uh, more about it. And I think that has become much wider than it used to be, even five or six years ago. Um, I don't think I imagine that because I work with it more, but uh, I think it's really a reality. And of course, uh, a good indicator is also esoteric publishing, uh, which has extremely developed. Uh, of course, I work a lot, uh, as probably you do too, with with authors and with publishing houses uh, and to see what is going on there. And um, mainly there has been a big shift towards also individual and 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 small publishing houses who do very high level work and i don't think that existed in that to that extent six or seven years ago um so think about scarlet imprint for example or oh my god i've got to name a few and the others are all going to be jealous um but um or anathema publishing for example or you take uh, um uh, um well, uh, the, the, the guy, Theon Publishing, okay, here it is. It, uh, but just to name a few, right? I mean, there are others, and, and they are really doing great, great stuff. And uh, that has not existed a few years ago, that high-quality uh, um, book. 
uh, and not cheap, right? Not cheap, of course, because right. it has it has it has its cost to produce it, and it's 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 like an ob- object, right? Yeah, well, I find that fascinating, and um, um, so digital publishing, of course, has also become more important, and um, I'm a bit old fashioned on that. I like to have the book in hand. I kind of need to have the book in hand to really enjoy it, but maybe that's just me. Right. Well, I think uh, to your point there, that is one of the um, advantages for writers and people who are a little bit more old fashioned, because I, I am too. Um, mm. I cannot, I, I simply cannot read. I can't finish anything that's on a screen. Um, that's more yeah. than, you know, essay size. And you, sometimes yeah. you get people who will send you PDF books to read and to comment mm. on. It's extremely difficult for me to, to finish anything. I need the book. And I think that yeah. our communities are some of the few communi- communities left where that tends to be the case. And so there's there's high value on, you know, beautifully designed um, inlaid books, nice binding, uh, good good pages, hardcovers. You see, you see a lot more of, uh, of that now. And also, I guess that dovetails Right, you've seen it. Um, obviously, by by the the guests that you've had on, it's dovetailing with this increase in in erudition. You know, the yeah. schol- scholarly, academic sort of uh, uh, a lot of interest in this stuff. Now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, by by the way, there there is something maybe uh, uh, you you mentioned the academic world, and I was lucky enough to have really a few a few high academicians on on my podcast and. Um, I think there has been a shift there when maybe a few years ago, um, uh, if you were an academic and working in the field of esotericism, you were not allowed to also practice any of that, right? Because otherwise you wouldn't have been um, uh, neutral anymore or so, right? And this has now changed and i find that very positive um richard kaczynski when he was on my podcast we were talking about this and he once said well it sounds to me and i find that very funny and true um like if you were uh, uh, a, a, a catholic believer and not allowed to study theology you know? yeah uh, why should you not study in an academic way uh, um esotericism occultism by also practicing one of the fields at the same time and i must say um walter hanegraaf in i asked him that question and i thought he would be rather rather um closed on that matter and he and and to my surprise said no he wasn't he said he couldn't do it he would not himself be able to practice and to study it but he completely accepts that people can and do so i think again there we are on a and I think that's a development that has changed over the last five, six years. It's now possible, at least, if you want, to practice and to be an academic in the field at the same time. Yeah, I think that's that's wonderful as well. I think one of we were talking about responsibility earlier, and um, again, you know, I uh, you had had said you had mentioned a, a preface that you hope people don't think that you find yourself too important. And so I will reiterate that, right? But I'm I'm American, so people expect that from me. <laughs> but I, I maybe I, that's I, what. <laughs> but um, uh, 
that's that's one of the things that drew me into into feeling like I should contribute my voice is that it, it seemed that on the internet especially it, it was kind of overrun with this academic uh very very skeptical mm-hmm. um uh approach to this stuff at least those were the voices that were were the loudest they were the people that were getting the most traction so um i find it because i, I try to be very erudite and i i you know i do have uh, an education college it's it's not uh, in history or, or or esotericism but i work with um you know yale seminarians and oxford educated people to make sure that i'm staying uh well frankly that i don't kind of veer off into speculation because the two the two are very very um they can work harmoniously if you give both of them their uh sort of uh, their own realms of authority but to me it feels like how do you how can you really speak on magic if if you don't because essentially you're a lot of it has so much has to do with subjective experience. You know, that's how, you know, your, your, your interpretation of, of, of the magical processes as they manifest in your environment, mm-hmm. in yourself, there's no way to, to talk about that academically. You know, Absolutely. So. Well, I, I, I would try to put that in a more, maybe also even in a more hermetic uh, way of looking at it. Um, um, the purely academic world um, has a tendency, even in humanities, which is strange, to become more and more quantifying, more and more uh, drawing the matter into the matter, right? Drawing the, the 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 things they talk about into the material world only, and leave the spirit part. And we are, of course, um, dual dualistic beings right you cannot just talk about something especially if it's magic or things related to the the holistic approach of life you cannot draw them to the ground and nail them down with quantity and i find that very dangerous because then you leave out the very important part and what you describe here um i think that that's partly due to to that tendency that we have in in the world in general at the moment and uh, uh that that's a constant idea i try to i try to share that that we are beings who also have i'm not saying i i i don't like the world spiritual in that context because it is connotated in the wrong sense i mean we we are part matter and we are part spirit call it spirit or soul whatever you want to call it but we are not only matter on the contrary we couldn't be if we were only matter but if we right. leave alone if we leave that aside if we only con- are concerned with matter but then we have a problem and of course that manifests much more clearly in the magical and esoteric world because yeah well without without spirit what should we do why, why are we here right Right, exactly. It's interesting to me also, um, you've been a Freemason for, for you said, I think, 32 years or so. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm very new to Freemasonry. I Mm -hmm. avoided it at first because it, you know, I, I, it didn't have the male female compatibility. Now I understand it, that it can actually make you a more well-balanced man. Um, But 
I'm interested as to what your thoughts are on, um, well, over here in the States, I can't speak for what's going on over there. We're experiencing a, a push towards uh, more youth membership lately. And then, but also with that traditional observance, it's getting very mm -hmm. traditional in, in masonry in, in some quarters. Is that something that's also happening in, in, in Europe and in, in Austria? No, I think it's very, I mean, uh, masonry has always been very different in different parts of the world and also its development by, by consequence. For example, here in Austria, by history, we have been in hiding for uh, for most of the time, right? Uh, during the Austro-Hungarian Empire, it was not possible. So only for a few years during Mozart's time, as some people might know, and then it was forbidden again until 1914, 1918. And then, of course, uh, during the Nazi years, it was forbidden again. And, and so uh, we are much more discreet uh, society here in Austria than in England, of course, and let alone in the United States, and that has its consequences in the in the behavior, right? Also in what you work at. Um, but I, I see. I mean, I've always been interested in international in the international part of masonry, and um, uh, I see what you mean. And uh, I see I see that as a very positive development. What you're mentioning here that it gets younger. And that it becomes, I wouldn't even call it traditionalist. I would I would say the the approach has become a bit more esoteric again, uh, going away from what we call fork and knife masonry, right? Um, where the most important thing is that you that you have a nice uh, dinner after after your meetings and uh, well, also do some charity, good, but uh, that's about it. Uh, and um, I think young people, when they join masonry, if they join masonry, um, they want something else from, from it. And that's a good sign. And yes, I would say a little bit we have that here also uh, to a certain extent, maybe not to the same extent than in the U.S. because we stand at a different place. But um, uh, there are similarities, yes. Yeah, that's that's interesting. You know, it's not something that I I had thought about the fact that you know over over in your region it was yeah vehemently suppressed, and, and so that obviously would characterize uh, because it, you know with the advent of Instagram and things like this now, you've got uh, people taking pictures and you know yeah, in yeah, lodges and things. It's absolutely. like kind of I, I've you know I, I've been in a couple, but. Um, I try uh that is one thing that seems to me that uh it can it it can get a little out of hand how how public uh everyone is very comfortable with being mm -hmm. uh, don't don't get me wrong I've I've taken I've taken pictures uh in, in lodges before but it's th but, there's something about um you know never during ritual yeah but well, we are we are an esoteric podcast here and I think people will understand when I say um, this is not only to do with I am a secret society or I don't want to be seen because we want to do things here that nobody should know about. I think being silent, being hidden, uh, not being in the outer world has an occult meaning, uh, a deep occult meaning, and uh, masonry must not forget that. Um, uh, of course, it's linked to all kinds of hermetic thought and to Rosicrucian thought and all of that. But uh, 
maybe one just just read reread the Rosicrucian Manifesto from time to time to understand why and because masonry not being Rosicrucian necessarily but it is very much the same way of thinking heal people don't take money for it and don't speak about it right for example right uh, um, uh, and and yeah. uh, and being silent why in in France for example for a long time probably no uh, more any longer the apprentice was not allowed to speak in lodge and that's not because he was not capable and he was too stupid to do it no because you have to learn to listen and when you are too noisy yourself you don't hear right when you are too much outgoing then you don't look at you yourself and and so i think that's the reason for being hidden and for not taking instagram photos in lodge and stuff uh, because we are in a different world while we are uh, in lodge yeah that's an excellent point i'm very glad that you very eloquently um, explained that i think a lot of my listeners will resonate with that or or have something to chew on there mm. um so currently i know that you've spoken in the past about you you have a very serious practice um you know you're you are definitely somebody who who does ritual and, and these kind of things mm -hmm. and I, I from what i understand you're more of a hermeticist um in yeah in in that way is there anything in esotericism at the current moment that's really grabbing your attention that you're interested in or uh is there some uh area that a, a person that specializes in that you may have recently spoken with or interviewed for season 10 what's what's exciting yeah, to you right well now? well if I, I i may i might mention two people who i had well exactly in that run before i shut down for a time you know in that run when i said i and both of them will be back uh, in in october i believe or the latest in november um because uh, in two very different approaches they inspire me and also open new new paths i'm always fascinated by people who are able to to combine tradition with a new approach and one of them uh, really i thought does an excellent job in the arts world is is marlene seven bremner who I think you also had on the show lately. Yeah, she's and fantastic. She is fantastic. And I, when I saw her first book, you know, which appeared about a year and a half ago, and the way she explains hermeticism and what is the difference between hermetism and hermeticism, in three pages, you suddenly get it. You know, what other people write three books and then you think, okay, well, maybe, but not. Um this is an extraordinary talent to, to, to be able to do that. And at the same time, she's very creative uh, uh, and combines arts. And of course, that's a special special approach for me because I'm in the arts world, in the music world, and the arts world. And of course, that triggers me more maybe than others. But I find her very interesting. And the other person, and there we talk about the subject that might be more common, um, is uh, the the subject I mean is AI artificial intelligence, which uh, of course is a big thing to be discussed, and um, I'm very 
reluctant on many things that are happening in the world with that. And I also see a certain danger, not only to humanity in general, but to the esoteric side in particular. And there is a guy, uh, Robert Gordon, you might have heard him, uh, uh, who is uh, part of the Societas Rosicrana in Anglia and who who has written books on Rosicrucianism, a young guy, a youngish guy. But he specializes, he also wrote some novel about the matter uh, in in seeing how those old traditions and AI, what's, what will be the outcome? Where does that go together? How can it go together? Can it go together? And we were going to we are going to do a show on that matter in in a few weeks. And I find that a real interesting matter. Normally, if I wouldn't meet a person like him, I would say. Well, I don't touch this subject because AI is dangerous, but he is able to tell you that there are aspects of it that maybe also can help develop even esotericism. So uh, uh, I can't say much more at the moment. We haven't recorded the show yet, but he, we're preparing for it. And that's a, that's an aspect I really find fascinating. I always like to to get myself informed on things that I, in the first place, don't like and find out hmm, there's something more to it that I could like. <laughs> so, so that's, uh, and that's certainly, AI is certainly a matter where that's necessary, at least for me. Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent trait to have. I, I tend to, I tend to keep my hands off anything. I mean, <laughs> pretty new that technologically i think i was 28 years old when i the, when i had a smartphone it was like mm -hmm. you know, it was a long and I, it was my generation you know that uh that started buying them up but that's that is very interesting i had a conversation with aaron leach about that he's very much interested in in this uh mm -hmm. using um ai in in occult uh, mm -hmm. methods it, it's it's i've I guess it's like anything else maybe you know um we can use it for good we can use it for bad i think that's yeah. just that's sure. just us that's just people um Absolutely. so i'll be I'll, I'll be looking out for that because that sounds like a really interesting yeah um, yeah I, mean, I i have no idea yet where it's going but we are doing it and uh, so the outcome is still to be seen <laughs> great awesome so um do you have anything else in the works other than uh finishing out season 10 um I know sometimes uh, you put together uh, a series of, of lectures and things like that. Or Right. I, I have been planning that and I, I think I will be doing it again uh, starting in January or February to do what I call Thoth Hermes Academy, uh, which I did once and had really a nice outcome and nice success. We had five people who who held the lecture of 45-ish minutes and then a, on, a live discussion for those who participated and and that was that was really nice. What I really am surprised, and I, that's why I also would like to redo that academy. And that came out very clearly in this little academy. We had maybe 50, 60 people each time listening, which is quite nice, and discussing, yeah. which is even nicer. Um that but I might say that even on the whole the whole lot of, of our listeners, and I I I I think you have a bit the same experience, I have hardly any um stupid remarks or trolls or or anything and i'm i i really uh, must uh, pay big credit to my audience they are great audience they they are they seem to be really interested they 
they stay. I can also see, and I'm sure you do the same on my podcast um, a provider, the ones that well, the, the 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 guys who who kind of the machinery that posts it on the different services, and they survey how long people stay on each episode, and they stay seventy to eighty percent, which is extremely high, right? Yes. So I uh, I I I find that really great, and uh, and that's a good good sign for the audience and uh uh i really i'm really very happy that i have that kind of audience and uh who who also make they don't react a lot but when they react it's clever and intelligent well you've been very good to us I mean, that's why <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> it's it's an excellent podcast you know um really honestly and it's it's becoming more and more of a necessity i think as you may have intuited to have uh, reliable grounded diverse conversations with mature practitioners and then right you get a mature diverse reliable audience i think that's well, hopefully yes well yeah, that's a that's a comfort sometimes in this stupid world out there yeah <laughs> yeah so i have um uh, i have a canned question that everybody gets at the end of each episode okay. for anyone listening to this podcast today that you know we we talked about um sound and we talked about uh, masonry we talked about uh hermit hermeticism for anybody that's listened to this episode and wants to dive in a little deeper about some of these subjects could you recommend uh between one and three books or um if there's some other media that you're familiar with whether it's uh, a documentary or uh lecture series you can use that too Okay, ooh, that that's a that's a big question. Yeah. Well, funny enough, funny enough, first thing that comes to mind is really the book I just mentioned a few minutes ago. That that first of Marlene's books uh, on hermeticism and and creativity. I think this is really a, a especially for people who who are into hermeticism, but maybe not really deep into it yet, but who want to. To, to get more than the baseline, but uh, build on the baseline. I think that that first of her books is really, Marianne Seven Bremner's book is really one of the three that I would would name here. Um, I still find, you're going to laugh maybe, because of course we know, all know that it's, it's, um, it's old and it's partly gone and and not more uh, up to date but i think manly p hall's uh, main work uh, is is still uh, a kind of bible that you should have at home uh, and and read because because i i yeah i just admire what that what, what that gentleman has done and um, what he has collected with an openness and a, a broad approach to esotericism from all over the world uh, but still based in the western tradition i think that's that's uh, that's a really really very very good uh, thing to have on your desk well what could be number 3 um i'm i would be looking for something that bridges the approach of science and esotericism uh, mm. as a basic work you know because i think it's necessary to understand that and i'm not a crowleyan at all but there he was really right it's the science and art 
of right. creating something, right? And and I think to understand that link between science and art or science and esotericism is very important. First thing that comes to mind, but there are others. I just maybe don't think of that. Dean Radin has written good works on that, yes. um, um, and uh, he certainly is somebody you should know and have read. Um, get yourself a book which talks about um, science and its link, the scientific approach to esotericism. Let's put it that way. It, it would be mm -hmm. a book on the scientific approach to esotericism. Dean Radin is a good Dean Radin is a good choice. There are others around, um, but he's the first who comes to mind. Yeah, I think all of those are excellent. Um, mm suggestions uh, i mean yeah i think marlena's uh, or seven's book is a uh, hermetic philosophy and creative alchemy that's the exactly. title for it yeah exactly. and um one one uh, one book that i actually kind of randomly stumbled across that that is unexpectedly did exactly what you're talking about was um the holographic universe by michael talbot uh okay. so mm -hmm. a, a lot of people this was in the 80s he wrote this book or absolutely early yeah, 90s yeah, yeah, but yeah. but I, th I think it, late 80s and and um it, it really informs uh ideas like the astral that we're constantly talking about you know with um with bones implicate order in that book it's you know i'm, I'm not going to go too deep in but it does exactly what you're saying kind of unexpectedly so and it fleshes out this idea even of you know, the hermetic conception of the microcosm and the macrocosm. It's all perfectly summed in that book. And so a lot of people, when they'll come to me and ask me for a book recommendation, that's one of the first ones I tell them. And they kind of look okay. at me with their eyes crossed, like, what? <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I also think sometimes, I mean, that's not now one of my three main recommendations, get me right. But what you say when you speak about older books, I, I mentioned Mendy Behold, of course, but uh, one of my first readings was Castaneda. Right. Mm. And Castaneda, I'm like many of my generation, we started with that. <laughs> and of course, then later on, everything, well, Castaneda, I even not, we don't even know if that's not all an invention. Well, who cares? It was a good invention because it brought so many people like me into that esoteric world. Like it's, it just reminds me that when people uh, it was in 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 the nineteen eighties, there was that big thing. Did William Shakespeare really write his plays, or was it somebody else? But who cares? The plays are there. If that guy was called Shakespeare or or, or Macmillan, who cares? Right? Uh, the yeah. Hamlet exists, right? And it's right. the same with Castaneda. It he brought us many of us to esotericism through this work. And we later on understood maybe it wasn't all true that he was saying, but still he opened our mind. And um, I think we should not be too arrogant to things like that. Uh, see what they have been able to do. Well said. Rudolf Berger, thank you so much for joining me um, today. Thank you for giving me a little slice of your time. Uh, I'm, I'm humbled and honored to, to have spoken with you truly no. and i'm looking forward to the rest of season 10 and uh the uh thought Hermes academy and everything else that you've got on the docket thank you so much for everything that you do thank you thank you it was great to be with you thank you